me to Matthew chapter 7. And we're continuing our study in the Sermon on the Mount, and we are going to be looking this morning at Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. I'm going to back up, however, and read the text we were dealing with last Lord's Day also, verses 1 and 2. So we're going to read verses 1 through 5. Then I'll be focusing upon verses 3 through 5 in the message. Let's hear God's word. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And that is God's word. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you so much for these times together. We just thank you for what you're doing in this church, and we know that your word is the agent of change, that these times together around your word are invaluable to us, that you use even the preaching and the teaching of your word to mold us and to shape us, to convict us, to bring us to repentance, to guide us to obedience, to bring us joy, to fulfill our relationship with you. And so we pray that all of that would be true today, that you would use your word as the sword of the Spirit in our lives and hearts, that you would use it to point us closer to Christ, and you would use it to make us more like him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in uh, for these first five verses of uh, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is teaching us about the danger of judging others. More specifically, Jesus is warning us about the danger there is for us to judge others. We saw last week from verse 1 that Jesus said, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. And we saw that it has two specific applications. One is, you and I have no place trying to climb up onto God's throne and pronounce judgment on individual people ourselves. The right of judgment belongs to God alone. It's not given to you. It's not given to me. The Bible says clearly that You know, we look at the external appearance, but God views the heart. And because of that, it is His right alone to be the judge. That doesn't mean, however, that we are not to judge people's moral convictions, theological positions, social views, belief systems, or world and life views. The Bible does give us his, or God gives us His Word by which we're to make those kinds of judgments. If something's unbiblical, it's incumbent upon us to say that is outside the bounds of what God's Word teaches. So when Jesus says, do not judge lest you be judged, He's not saying that we're never to make any kind of moral determinations or judgments as to whether something is within the bounds of His Word or outside the bounds of it. You know, there are absolutes in this world. 
We live in a culture that despises absolutes. We live in a world that doesn't want to say that, that there are some things that are right and some things that are wrong. We desperately try to be inclusionary. To say that whatever your view is, it's okay. The Bible says it's not necessarily okay. There are some things that are absolutely right and some things that are absolutely wrong. Some things that are absolutely true and some things that are absolutely false. And it's incumbent upon us as God's people to make those kinds of moral, biblical, theological judgments. So when Jesus says, do not judge so that you will not be judged, he's saying that we're not to judge the person. That's God's right. We are to judge the position as to whether it's within his word and his teaching or outside the bounds of it. The other application we saw from the first two verses is that we're not to be judgmental. We're not to have a critical spirit. We're not to be looking for the faults of others. We're not to be complainers about other people and what they do and how they live. We're not to be looking the negative side of people and focusing upon their mistakes and their faults and their errors. We're not to be in the habit of judging, examining, or evaluating the lives of others. And that really is where Jesus goes in verses 3 through 5, isn't it? These are really an illustration. These verses are really an illustration that drives home the point Jesus has made in the first two verses about not judging other people and not only how inappropriate it is, how improper it is, but really how unable we are to do that because of our own standing before God. Just a couple of things from these verses this morning. I'm going to try to be brief. First is we see that Jesus asked two questions. They're simple questions. But when you look at them, you realize that they are profound questions. One of these questions asks why, and the other question asks how. The question we find in verse 3 is this. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? The question is why. It's a question that pierces to the heart It's a question that drives us to consider our motives. Why do you do that? Why do you act that way? What is it in your heart that leads you to do what Jesus describes in this verse? And what Jesus is asking is, why do you spend so much time evaluating others? Judging others? Criticizing others? And so little time evaluating yourself, judging yourself, and criticizing yourself. And the Bible just gets too close for comfort, doesn't it, sometimes? Because this is something, I'm sure, with which all of us struggle. It is so easy, isn't it, to look at someone else, to look at another person, and say, look at them. Look what they do. Look how they act. See their behavior. 
so easy to point the finger at someone else. So much more difficult to turn around and point it at ourselves. It's so much less painful for me to point to one of you and say, why'd you do that? Why'd you act that way? Instead of asking that very same question of myself. That's what Jesus is saying here. Why is it? Why is it that you spend so much time looking for the speck in someone else's eye and do not consider the log in your own eye? Two contrasts in verse 3. The first contrast is between the word look and the word notice. When Jesus says, why do you look? Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? The word look there is a word of intensity. As though you were searching for something. Desperately looking for something that you can't find. The word notice, on the other hand, is a casual glance. An offhand regard for something. And Jesus is saying, why do you act that way? Why do you look so hard? So hard for the fault in someone else and you just give a casual glance to your own situation and to your own faults and to your own sin. Why do you do that? The other contrast is between the speck and the log. A speck is just a, a small thing. A piece of dust. A splinter of wood. Something that is real. Something that's there. But something that is somewhat insignificant. And especially in the significant when it's compared to a log or to a beam. And that word refers to a, to a, to a truss. To a major beam that holds the roof of a house contrast between something small and something large. And the imagery Jesus gives here is almost ridiculous, isn't it? Why do you, if you had this huge beam or log in your eye, why do you look for the speck in your brother's eye? But it's ridiculous to make a point. To show how inappropriate it is for us to try to deal and look for someone else's faults and errors and sins without considering the reality of our own. So Jesus says, why do you do that? You see, Jesus isn't just talking about specks and logs. He's talking about personal issues, moral problems, sins, mistakes, someone has made. You know, the Bible doesn't divide sins up into big and little. Every sin brings us equally guilty before the judgment seat of Christ. Every sin requires the same amount of the blood of Jesus for forgiveness. But there are sins, aren't there, that are of greater consequence, that have greater repercussions. And Jesus talks about a speck and a log. But it's not just the difference in the consequence of sin. It's that the log is your sin. The speck is someone else's sin. 
And the question Jesus asks is why? Why do you spend so much time, so much energy on them? And so little time, so little energy on yourself. The second question is in verse 4. And verse 4 asks the question, how? Or how can you, Jesus says, say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold the log that is own in your own eye. Here it's not so much judging your brother as is trying to help your brother or your sister. How can you, Jesus says, deal with the tiny speck, the problem in your brother's eye, if you haven't first dealt with this major problem, this log in your own eye, and Jesus assumes the question is going to be, you can't. You can't. You can't deal effectively in ministering to someone else, in dealing with the issues, the problems, the sin, the mistakes in their lives, unless you first deal with the issues in your own. Get to the heart of the issue, don't we? What is it that drives us to do those things? It is a sense of self-righteousness. The sense that somehow we're better than someone else. That we're more righteous than they are. And we assume the right that belongs only to God, and that is to judge someone because of their behavior. The Pharisees love to point a finger at someone else. The Pharisees loved to condemn other people because of their lifestyle and what they did, but they did not like at all to try to evaluate themselves. They were self-righteous. The most clear biblical example we have of what Jesus is teaching about here is in the life of David, King David. You know King David, don't you? He's the man the Bible calls a man after God's own heart. And yet David, even though he loved God, was a man with feet of clay just like us. A man who struggled with temptation. And you know how he fell to temptation. Committed adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. And then when David realized that Bathsheba was expecting a child from their affair, he tried his best to hide his sin, to cover it up. He called for Uriah to come from the battlefield to spend some time at home. Uriah was a man of better character at that point than David. He refused. Refused to go home with his fellow soldiers in battle. And so when David realized that wasn't going to work, he sent him back to the battlefield, told the commanders to put Uriah on the front lines, knowing that when they did, he would be killed. And they did, and he was. So a period of time went on and David refused to acknowledge, to confess, or to repent of his sin. We'd all admit, wouldn't we, that David had this huge beam in his eye. So God sent the prophet Nathan to David. And Nathan told David a story. You know the story, I'm sure. It's about two men lived in the same town. One was very rich, had many flocks and herds. The other was quite poor. 
This man had one little lamb. He bought that lamb, I'm sure, in hopes one day of feeding his family. But all along the way, his family became attached to the little lamb. Became like a pet. Would eat scraps from their table. Would drink from his cup. The Bible even says that it would lay down with him at night and sleep. Nathan told David that that little lamb became like a daughter to this man. One day, the rich man had some unexpected guests show up at his house. And instead of taking one of his many flocks and herds, he sent his servants to this poor man's house, had them take his one lamb and prepared it and served it to his guests. When David heard the story, he said, that man ought to die. And Nathan turned to David and said, guess what? That's you. You are that man. Because you see, David was a man who had everything the world could provide him. And yet he took another man's wife. He had this huge beam in his eye. And when he heard a story about a man who took not a man's wife, but a man's lamb, he pronounced a death penalty on him. He ought to to die. But you see, David was doing exactly what Jesus describes here. In comparison to Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, the man's lamb, was a speck. And David had this huge beam in his own eye. And here he is, looking for the speck in this other man's eye. Trying to deal with it, and yet he's got this beam in his own eye. And Nathan again says to him, that is you. So easy to do this, isn't it? So easy for us to try to deal with someone else's problem without being honest about our own. David had never been honest about the reality of his own sin. And Jesus' question is, how can you do that? How can you deal with someone else's problem when you have this own problem in your life? Then we come to the instruction that Jesus gives in verse 5, and it is this. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus says to people like this, they are hypocrites. You hypocrites. Hypocrite. You can almost feel the emotion in Jesus' voice, can't you? It begins in verse 3 saying, Why is it that you do this? Why do you look for the speck in your brother's eye when you have this log in your own eye? Then in verse 4, how can you do that? How can you look for someone, the speck in someone else's eye when you have this log in your own eye? And then in verse 5 he says, You hypocrite. Jesus has talked about hypocrites before, remember in the Sermon on the Mount? Hypocrite is basically an actor. One who presents himself one way when he's really another. One who wants to present himself 
is better than other people. In reality, he's just as bad, if not worse. And Jesus had some of his most harsh warnings and statements to hypocrites. And here he says, if you are dealing with the speck in your brother's eye and you are ignoring the log in your own eyes, you are a hypocrite. It is real easy for people like me to do that. It is real easy for people like me to be a hypocrite. To use the pulpit as a means to try to deal with the speck in your eye and ignore the log in my own eye. That's why sometimes from this pulpit I raise my hand and I say to you what? I'm guilty. I struggle with that. I deal with that. I do that. Because it's hypocritical of me to say that you must change your life. You must deal with a speck in your eye. And act as though there's no log in my own. You know some of the logs in my eye. They're not hard to find. And Jesus says, why? Why? You try to deal with his problem, her problem, and ignore your own. How can you? How can you deal with them when you haven't first dealt with yourself? Now, this is not to say that we're never to confront someone because of their sin. This is not to say we're never to call someone to repentance. It's not to say we're never to say to someone, that wasn't the right thing to do. But the Bible is very clear in saying we're to be very, very careful how we do that. Remember the verse in Galatians chapter, I'll turn here for the sake of time. Galatians chapter um, 6, verse 1. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. If someone's caught in a trespass, it's the spiritual people who are to deal with it. Well, who are the spiritual people? They're the people who understand their own sin, who are in the process of confessing, repenting. And they're people who deal with others and their sin with gentleness. I think it's without, with great significance. Jesus calls it a speck where? A speck in the eye. It, it is, it's painful to have something in your eyes. It's, a, it's annoying. But isn't the eye one of the most sensitive parts of the body? I've tried to wear contacts. I can't do it. I can't stick my finger in my eye. And if I get something in my eye, I've got to get somebody to help me get it out. I get Carol to help me. And guess what? You know, she doesn't bring a, she doesn't bring a stick. She gets a soft tissue. And she deals with it carefully because it's so sensitive. And that's the way it is when we deal with people's lives, folks. We're dealing with people's souls. 
When someone has fallen into sin, it's not just sin in the abstract, it's sin in a person's life. And if we're going to deal with someone's sin, we need to do so carefully like we're trying to get a little speck out of someone's sensitive eye. And we need to be careful that the dust doesn't blow in our own eye. While looking to yourself, Paul says, As many of you know, and I'll close with this, I serve as uh, chairman of our Presbytery's Shepherding and Advisory Committee. In that responsibility, we deal with ministers who have fallen into grievous sin or who failed in their pastoral duties. That is a frightening thing. And whenever we are faced with that circumstance or that situation, the first thing we do is have a time of personal reflection and confession and prayer. Looking to ourselves because we're about to deal with someone else. Jesus is telling us here two things. One is be serious and the other is be careful. He's saying, be serious about the sin in your own life. Be serious about the beam or the log, the reality of the sin in your own life. Be serious about it. Deal with it. Confess it. Turn from it. Repent of it. And be careful. Are you dealing with a brother or a sister who may have stumbled, who's fallen, who's struggling? Be careful. Be careful as you deal with that speck in their eye. Be serious. Be serious about your own. And be careful about theirs. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And it is so convicting sometimes. It drives to the very heart of who we are. And so I pray this morning as we deal with the reality of sin, of mistakes, of failures, both in our own lives and the lives of others, that we would not neglect our own issues to deal with the issues in another person's life. But we be honest with ourselves that we would allow the Holy Spirit to convict us, to drive us to confession, to repentance. And we'd be careful in the way that we deal with each other, dealing with sensitive souls, people for whom Jesus died. And I pray that within our body here, you would help us to continue to grow, to grow in the grace and the knowledge and the mercy of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen. Our closing hymn really is a prayer. May the mind of Christ my Savior. Let's stand together and sing it.